Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now together. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. We may rejoice and be glad all our days. Yes and amen. This psalm is great at contrasting God and us. He is eternal and we are like dust. He is not affected by time and we are like grass that fades and withers. And yet this eternal God, he pities us. He has pity and he loves us. This God satisfies us as only he can. And his love, that steadfast love, it causes us to rejoice. It causes us to be glad. So let us rejoice and be glad in our good and gracious God today as we sing, join our voices, and sing of our hope, our, our home, and our help. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Our shelter from the stormy blast and our eternal. Under the shadow of thy throne, thy saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is thine arm alone, and our defense is And our eternal 
Jesus, welcome. Welcome to this gathering of Desert Springs Church. My name is Drew. I'm the music pastor here. And it is in the name of Jesus that we gather. No other name. Not the name of Desert Springs or America or anyone here, but in the name above all names. The name of Jesus represents the person and work. It represents the gospel. And that's why we gather today. We gather around the gospel So today we sing the gospel, we will pray the gospel, we will preach the gospel, and uniquely today we will see the gospel as it is represented through the waters of baptism later in our service. So church, welcome. If you're visiting with us, welcome. We are glad that you are here. We are here to serve you in any way we can. We'll have leaders and pastors down front after the service to answer any questions you might have from the service about the gospel, about Jesus, about baptism. We love these questions. So we're there for you after the service. Let us know how we can help you and serve you. We're gonna pray now, but before we do, I have three requests. So three prayer requests that you guys can consider throughout the time we're together this morning. Number one, pray for the preacher. It is beneficial to you for God to bless the preaching of his word. So let's pray for the preacher. Number two, pray for the person next to you. Pray that the Lord would work in and through their heart and mind. And number three, pray for yourself. Pray that your eyes would be open to wondrous things, wondrous things from God's word. Can we do those three things? All right, well, let me lead us now in prayer. Pray with me. Lord, we come to hear your word, your voice, not the words of man. So shine the light of the gospel into dark hearts as you unsheath your sword and cut the cords of sin and death. Send your spirit forth in soul-resurrecting power as you bless your church and cause her to be a blessing to the nations. In the firm, faith-founding, refuge-giving name of Jesus, we ask all this, amen. Now let us stand together. Join our voices again and rejoice in his excellent word and his excellent saving work. Just some liberty, and he will. 
is with us. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow. For I will be near thee thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest Okay, we can, we can clap as a response to amazing truth and then praise to our God. This band sounds really good today, but when you guys clap at the end of a song, we don't receive that as praise. We receive that as affirmation and praise to our God and King as we sing and worship Him together. So we can remember that moving forward. Let's transition now to a time of prayer through song as we ask for God's blessing blessing on his word and on his work through his people. God, be gracious and bless us. Make your face shine upon us so all the earth may know your way, your saving power to the nations, oh God. Let the peoples praise you, oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the peoples praise you, oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. Judge the peoples with equity. You guide the nations on the earth. Let every tongue declare your worth, O God. Let them praise. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the peoples Bless us, let all the earth hear his name. We work to see your heart. 
got your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Galatians. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. The words are going to be up on the screen behind me. If you're visiting this morning, my name is Chase Jacobs. I'm the minister of theological training here at Desert Springs, so uh, I'm not the regular preacher, although I do get to fill in from time to time, and I'm really happy to this morning. If you are joining us for the first time, uh, we are jumping in on a series through the New Testament epistle of Galatians that we've been in for several weeks. And this chapter, our chapter this morning that we're starting in chapter three, it marks a major division in the book. So you could uh, kind of evenly break up the book of Galatians into three big sections. So chapters one and two, which we've just finished last week, is the apostle Paul defending his ministry and apostleship against these false teachers that have come in and confused this Galatian church, this early first century church. Well, now starting in chapter three through chapter four, Paul is going to start not defending himself, but defending his gospel, defending the gospel of justification by faith in Jesus Christ. So that's where we're going to start in this morning. And we're just going to look at the first nine verses of chapter three. And as I read this, you'll see that we could break it up into two parts. So this is going to be our outline for this morning. In verses 1 to 5, Paul is going to make an argument from the Galatians' own experience. So it's going to be an argument from experience. And then in verses 6 to 9, he's going to turn and he's going to use an Old Testament example, namely Abraham, to defend his gospel. So that's our outline, uh, experience and example. Okay, so you can kind of look for that as I read that. So I'm going to read these, verse, these first nine verses and then I'll pray and we'll hear what God has to say to us from this word. So chapter three of the book of Galatians. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for this word. We thank you for this word that is not for any one group of people, but it is for all of the nations of the earth. And so, Lord, we do pray that. Let the nations praise you. God, I pray this morning we would, we would praise you more, those of us who have believed this gospel, that we would just believe it better, that we would know it more, that we would be more certain of it. And, and Lord, if there's anyone here from, from any tribe or tongue or people or nation, Lord, if there's anyone here that hasn't believed, I pray that you would open up their eyes and their hearts to understand it and to be saved, to be justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. amen. Well, did you guys enjoy March Madness? Yeah, I did. I was very proud of my University of North Texas mean green ruining all of your brackets <laughs> when they beat Purdue. Then they got stomped by Villanova, right? But, but go mean green, right? But the real story was Baylor. Did you guys see this championship game? I mean, that's, I'm a Texas guy, so I'm happy for Baylor. And I'm happy, I mean, that was a big win for them. That was their first national championship. They've come back from a lot of struggles as a program. And if you watch this game, I mean, it, was, it wasn't really much of a game. It was, it was dominant. They were dominant the whole time. From the very beginning, there was just no question who was going to win that game. And there were a lot of standouts in that game, right? Jared Butler, Davion Mitchell. Maybe there was a name that you don't remember hearing, which is Mark Patterson. He's number 35 with the Baylor Bears. He is a six foot one guard that walked onto the team that season. He played one minute in the national championship. He had zero field goal attempts, zero rebounds. He had one steal, which is way better than I could have done. He played one minute in the national championship. But when they won, when the buzzer sounded, he ran out on the court with the rest of the team. That was his victory as much as it was their victory, right? And actually, I looked at and you watched the video of when they won the game, and I was looking for number 35, and he was running around more than anybody else was. He still had energy left. <laughs> but that was his win. That was his win. But imagine if, if somebody like that, after a victory like that, they started to doubt whether or not it was enough. Yeah, the buzzer has sounded. Yeah, there's a final score. But what if that victory wasn't dominant enough? Or what if, what if they hadn't contributed enough to the victory? They start to question. They start to, to doubt whether they've really earned this trophy, if they deserve this trophy. And so, so they think, I need to do more. And they grab a basketball, and they start shooting free throws. The confetti's falling from the ceiling. The rest of the team's over with the trophy, getting their picture taken, and then he's just over here shooting free throws. Like, like it changes the score at all. Like it does anything. How confusing would that be? How foolish would that be? That's what the Galatians have been doing in this book. Jesus died for their sins. He was raised from the dead. They believed it. They were saved. And then these false teachers come along and they say, actually, that wasn't enough. You gotta, you gotta do more. In this case, they were saying, you, you need to follow these Jewish rites that we all practice. You have to get circumcised and you have to eat food the way that we do or, or you can't really share in the win. It's foolish. 
And that's why the Apostle Paul starts this section, this chapter, with such strong language. Look at verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? If you're familiar with the New Testament and you read the other letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, he wrote a lot. There's really nothing like this kind of forcefulness in his language, especially not when he's talking to Christians, and he is here. He calls them foolish. That word, it it means literally to, to be not thinking. You're not using your heads. What you're doing, it doesn't make any sense. He uses the same word again in verse three. Are you so foolish? In verse one, he asks, who has bewitched you? This is a really interesting word, bewitched. This is the only time in the whole Bible that it's used, but we know from the way it's used outside of the Bible that, that it does mean like, like somebody has cast a spell on you, like a magic spell. It's got lots of connotations of the occult. They cast a spell on you and they're, and they're leading you in a different way. And Paul says, who has, who has done this to you? And I don't think that Paul thinks that there was actually like a dark wizard in Galatia, you know, that cast the imperious curse on these Galatians. Got any Harry Potter fans out there? I don't think he thinks that that actually happens. Although I do wonder if he's using this word with all of those occult connotations to kind of bring to mind Satan, the activity of Satan, because this is what Satan does. He lies. He's the father of lies. But I think really what Paul is, is kind of doing is he's just expressing again his astonishment. He's like, what, did somebody cast a spell on you or something? This, this doesn't make any sense. Remember what he said in chapter one, verse six. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. That's why he uses this strong language because it's that serious. He's astonished that they've deserted this gospel of grace. And so this this language, him calling them fools, it's really coming from a place of love, of deep love and concern. What you're doing doesn't make any sense. You're adding requirements to something that's already finished. And the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, he is loving us with these same words because as Christians, we too are tempted to add requirements to what God has already done in Christ. To think that maybe it's not good enough. Maybe I need to do something more. And Paul is saying, don't be bewitched, church. Don't be foolish, church. That's not how it works. That's not the gospel of the grace of Christ. So we need to be on guard against these false gospels, against being bewitched. And so the question is, okay, well, how are we on guard against false Gospels, And we've already said this in this series, and we're just going to keep on saying it. The way that you guard against false gospels is, becoming, is by becoming more and more familiar with the true gospel. And that's what Paul is going to, he's going to do here. Basically, the rest of this book is just straight gospel into our veins so that we can remember it and be familiar with it and let it soak in more and more so that we can recognize a false gospel from a mile away and not let it take us captive. And so that's what he's going to start doing here. 
Like I said, in, in the rest of verse one, he's gonna start uh, proving and, and reminding them of this gospel from the Galatians' own experience. He's gonna remind them of what already happened to them. So listen to this, starting in verse one. He says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And look at verse four. He says, did you suffer? My translation says suffer, but it's got a little footnote there. And it says that this word can also be translated experience. Okay, it just means to, to go through something. And I think that's actually more uh, what it means here. Okay, so, so let's translate this. Did you experience so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. And then he asks again in verse five, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? This is a really cool, useful passage because it actually kind of gives us a play-by-play of how somebody is justified, made right with God, saved. Remember, this is all that we talked about last week, this idea of justification, being made right with God. So, So Paul, in this, kind of telling them what their story is, we can see the process by which they went from sinners who were not right with God to believers who were right with God. And the one thing that is noticeably missing from this whole process is any works on their part. So what's the process? How is somebody justified? How is somebody saved? In verse one, Paul says, this all began when Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified before your eyes. This is, that's an interesting way to, to describe what happened here because we know that the Galatians didn't see Jesus crucified with their own eyes. Okay, Galatia is in modern-day Turkey, if you know where that is. Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. It was a long way away. So, so they probably didn't even know who Jesus was. But Paul did. They didn't see Jesus, but Paul did. Paul has spent the first two chapters of this book explaining that his apostleship is because he saw Jesus himself risen from the dead. This isn't something that Paul heard about from somebody else. This is something that that Paul saw, and then he went out as a missionary all over the known world telling people who hadn't seen it what he had seen. And I'm encouraged by this because here I am in the year 2021, and I'm thinking, man, wouldn't it be great if, if God would just reveal himself to me some way? If I could just see God, this would be so much easier to believe. But I remember, I actually have more to go on than the Galatians did. All they had was the eyewitness testimony of an apostle of Jesus Christ. And that's what we have right here. By God's grace, they wrote down what they saw. And if it was good enough for them, it's good enough for us. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's what Paul is saying. I came to you and I preached the gospel to you. I explained to you the things that I had seen that that you need to know about. And 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 I think he's saying that he explained it to them so vividly that it was publicly portrayed. Like it was enough that they could see it in their minds. He's telling them what happened. There is no doubt about the facts of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. So he preaches the gospel to them. And then at the end of verse 2, 
it says that they heard it with faith. They didn't just hear it. They they didn't just sit in the room and, and say, okay, Paul said this. No, they heard it and they believed it. They believed that it was true. And they were justified. They were saved. They were forgiven from their sins. And how do we know that? Well, he says also in verse two that they received the Holy Spirit. You see that? They received the Spirit. Or verse five, it says God supplied the Spirit to them and worked miracles among them. And there's a lot more that I can say about the Holy Spirit. Actually, Paul's gonna say more. In the rest of this book, I think he mentions the Holy Spirit like 16 times. Okay, this is a theme in the book of Galatians. And so we're gonna keep on learning about the Holy Spirit as we go through this. But what you need to see here that's really important is Paul is equating their justification with their receiving the Spirit. Do you see that? Okay, they were justified and they received the Spirit. It all happens at the same time. So you can say, the way that you know if somebody is a Christian, the way that you know if you're a Christian, do you have the Holy Spirit? Has the third person of the Trinity come and made his home with you and dwelt you? Because that's what happens when you believe. It's not some later experience. It's not something that comes after. It's just all part and parcel. You're justified, you're saved, you're forgiven, and the Spirit comes in. And Paul's gonna say in the book of Galatians that the Spirit is what teaches us to call God our Father, Abba. And the Spirit is what leads us in obeying God's commands when we couldn't before. The Spirit is what bears the fruit of the Spirit in us. It's an experience that you have of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is reminding them of this experience. He even says that the Spirit is what works miracles among them. We could, if we had time, go to Acts chapter 14, which recounts the missionary journey of Paul as he's going through Galatia. And he comes to this city called Iconium and he preaches the gospel and Jews and Gentiles are saved. And then it says that God bore witness to his word of grace by granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. That God came in behind the apostolic testimony and he worked miracles so that everybody that was there knew, wow, this is really from God. And Paul is just reminding them of this. Don't you remember when you received the Holy Spirit? Don't you know you have the Holy Spirit right now? Don't you remember the miracles? Don't you remember when you were justified? Because they heard with faith. So we need to ask, what does that mean? What does that mean to hear with faith? Because this is where everything hinges. And I think sometimes we can get confused about what faith is or what faith means. I think actually we can be tempted to turn faith into a work itself. You get that? That sometimes we talk or sometimes we even believe that that this is actually in order to be effective all up to how I feel about whether or not this is true. Do I have enough belief? Do I believe hard enough? Do I have enough faith? Can I muster up enough certainty that this is real? And and if I can't, if I doubt, then it's not gonna happen. That's not faith. That's not how it works. That has turned faith into the work that saves you. That's justification by works, only the work is faith. That's not it. Faith has very little to do with us. And it has everything to do with what we put our faith in. The object of our faith. And what is the object of our faith? What does Paul say in verse 1? Christ crucified. 
Christ crucified. Do you see where this just flows out of the last section that we were in, that the cross of Christ is central to our justification? And I think, I think this matters. This matters for us because we can get so confused about this. Paul didn't come to the Galatians telling them a message about what they needed to do to get made right with God. Not even mustering up certainty. He came to them preaching a gospel that said, here is what God has done. That's it. That's it. That's what he came preaching. And so many of us, when, when we think about what does it mean to be a Christian or what does it mean to be made right with God, we get this all out of order. I think many people, if you just, you know, you kind of did like the man on the street thing like Jimmy Fallon does. You know, you just go up and say, what is a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does a Christian believe? I think even people that, that genuinely think that they're Christians, they would say that the Christian faith is something like this. That if I'm good enough when I die, I get to go to heaven. If I'm a good person, if I stay away from the bad things, especially the really bad things like, you know, murder or homosexuality or R-rated movies, and actually I do lots of good things, or, you know, just a few good things, like help the homeless on Saturdays, and I don't, you know, I'm nice to people. If I do enough good things to outweigh the bad things, then when I die and I stand in front of God, well, he's just got to let me in because that's the rules. Is that how you think about how you're made right with God? Because that's dead wrong. That's a false gospel. That's, that may be what other religions believe. That's not what we believe. That's not Christianity. And I think we know this. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I, I think you know this. You know you're not good enough. As hard as you try, as hard as you try, you can't fix yourself. And you've tried it. As hard as you try, you can't shake your addiction. As hard as you try, you can't do enough good things to make it feel like the guilt and the shame that you feel for the bad things that you've done, that it ever goes away. As hard as you try, you just feel like no one, especially not God, could ever love you. Friends, that's not the gospel. Paul didn't come to the Galatians peach, preaching a gospel that says, try harder. He came preaching a gospel that says, quit trying and trust. Trust in what God has done. Because it's true, none of us is good enough, okay? None of us, myself included. I'm, I'm a sinner, and even if I do lots of good things, it doesn't take away the things that I've done bad. And all of the things that I've done wrong separate me from God, and I have no right to go into this perfect place in the presence of God forever and ever with all of my sins on me. If you break one command, a big command like murder or even the littlest command, you've broken all of it. And you can't fix it. You can't take your sins away. But God loves us. And he, and he sees you in your sin. And he knows there's nothing you can do to work it out. There's nothing that you can do to fix it. You are damned. And that's it. And God says, you can't work your way up to me, but let me, come, let me come work my way down to you. Let me come to you. And that's what he did. He sent his son, Jesus, 
God in the flesh to live a perfect life and do all of the right things that you are not good at doing. Jesus lived perfectly and Jesus never committed any of the sins that you have. He was perfect, so he was unstained. He was perfectly righteousness. He did all the work. And then he came to the cross and he said, hey, all of that sin that you've committed, all of that guilt, all of your weakness, all of your shame, everything that you've done wrong, give it to me. Just give it to me. I'll take it on myself like it was my sin, like I did it. And I'll go to this cross and I'll die the death that you deserve to die. I will suffer the wrath that you deserve from God so that you don't have to. I'll pay the penalty and I'll make it right. I'll make it right for you. And that's what he did. He died on the cross for your sins. And they laid him in the grave. And when he went down into the grave, all of your guilt, all of your sin, everything that you've ever done wrong, that went down into the grave with him. And then Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus came back from the dead. And you know what happened when he came back from the dead? All of your sins stayed there in the grave. Game over. Jesus wins. Jesus wins the game that you could never win. He is the champion. And that is the basis of our hope. So that's why if you go back to this, this misunderstanding of Christianity, it's like, okay, well, if I'm a good enough person, then I'll get to heaven. Then why did Jesus die on a cross? What is the point of the cross if it's up to you? That's how Paul ends the last section. He says if, if, if our righteousness, if our being made right with God was up to us, then Jesus died for no reason. But he didn't. He died for you so that you would quit trying to save yourself and trust in what God has done for you in Christ. And that's what the Galatians did. They heard that. They heard this good, good news. Gospel just means good news. Isn't that good news? You don't have to do anything. God did it for you. And the Galatians heard that and like, wait, 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 grace? This is free? I can just be made right with God by, by just believing this? By accepting that this happened for me? Yes. And they did. And they received the Holy Spirit and they knew that it was true. Have you believed this? Have you believed this, this good news? If you have, why on earth would you think that you do anything to change that? Why would you think that, that God could love you more? He can't. Do you get that? God could never love you more than he loves you right now, Christian. And that's infinitely all of the riches of his immeasurable grace are already yours. You don't have to shoot free throws to get more of it. It's, it's, it's done. God will never love you less because of anything that you do. He'll never love you more. Your justification doesn't change. And if you've received the Holy Spirit, he's the guarantee that that's true. And these guys have. And I hope you have. But Paul, Paul reminds them of this. He reminds them of what has been true of this, of their own experience. He says, remember the gospel that you heard. It was, it was portrayed so vividly. Remember the spirit that you received. Remember the miracles. Verse two is the heart of this, this passage. He says, let me ask you only this. 
Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And the answer is obvious. It was just by faith. Oh, yeah, we didn't do anything to get this. We didn't deserve this at all. God just gave it to us. That's why it's, that's why it's grace. And so he says, why do you think you need to be circumcised? Why do you think you need to keep... It's, it's already yours. Verse 3, are you so foolish? Don't you get it? There's a whole lot of good news that you're missing out on. Don't doubt. Don't doubt, Christian. You're saved by faith and faith alone. Amen? That's what happened with the Galatians, and he reminds them of that, but he doesn't want them to just rely on their own experience. As great as that is, he wants them to know that that's everyone's experience. Anyone that is justified with God is justified the same way. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, in the case of the Galatians, or whether you're a man or a woman, he's going to say, whether you're a good person or a bad person, we're all sinners, and we're all saved by faith. And he's actually going to say, whether you were saved after the cross of Christ or before it, we're all saved the same way. So he's going to go into this argument that, that even Old Testament saints were saved the same way that we are, by faith. Because it doesn't, it doesn't have to do with them, it has to do with the object of our faith. And we have the same object. We are worshiping the same God. And, and we are resting on his promises that are fulfilled in Christ. And so that's where he's going to go in these closing verses. He's going to use an Old Testament example. And it's not really fair to say that Abraham is just an Old Testament example, right? He is the Old Testament example. And this is why Paul goes here. Because this issue, as I've been saying in the Galatian church, it was the issue of circumcision, which was a a Jewish rite that Abraham was the first person to ever undergo. Abraham was the one who received the right of circumcision. And so it's right for Paul to say, let's think about Abraham. Let's think about how this worked for Abraham and the relationship of his justification to circumcision. And this really starts a a bigger argument. Okay, he's gonna be talking about Abraham a lot in the next, y'all are gonna be sick of Abraham, okay, by, by May. But Paul's right to go here. This is, this is really the, the heart of the issue, but you'll see he's just applying the same logic that he applied to the Galatians. Okay, he says, Galatians, you were justified by hearing with faith. Verse six, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So now in my Bible, that, that last part is in quotations. Is yours like that? Okay, that means that this is being lifted from another part in the Bible. This is a quote from the book of Genesis, specifically in Genesis chapter 15. And if you haven't read the book of Genesis in a while, let me just remind you how it goes. In Genesis chapter 12, God appears to this man called Abram, and Abram's 75 years old, and his wife Sarai is 65 years old, and they never had any kids, and they think they're done. But God appears to Abram in a vision, and he says, Abram, I'm going to make a promise to you. You're going to have kids. You're going to have so many kids that they become a great nation. And I'm going to use that great nation to, in fact, bless all of the nations in the whole world through you, Abram. And this is a, this is a prophecy 
that God made. So you have to understand what a prophecy is. A prophecy is not God saying, you know, Abram, look, I love you, bud. And if I have my way, this is, this is how it's going to play out. No, God is in the future. God is outside of time, like we, we heard from Psalm 90. Okay, so God is in the future, and he's looking around, and you know what he sees? He sees Abram's nation. He sees them all. And he says, I know this is going to happen, because I'm going to make this happen. And then he goes back to Abram, and he says, let me tell you how this is going down. It's kind of like if you ever record the game, and you don't get to watch it yet, and then somebody else texts you what the, who won the game. Isn't that the worst thing? You did that to me one time. This is like that. God's telling Abram how it's going to end before it even starts. So it's really, it's really more than that. This is like Marty McFly coming back in time with the sports almanac and telling him how it's going to go down. Abram, you are going to have kids. You're going to have a mess of kids, and I'm going to bless the whole world through your kids. This is certain. This is a fact. It just hasn't happened yet. And so Abram hears that promise in Genesis 12. And by Genesis chapter 15, it hasn't happened yet. Do you ever feel that? That God is really slow to, to do the things that you trust he's going to do? Abram felt that. His wife is older. They still don't have any kids. If it was impossible before, it's certainly impossible now. And so, so Abram starts to question God in Genesis chapter 15. He says, oh, Lord, what, what are you going to give me? For I continue childless. Behold, you have given me no offspring. How is that ever going to happen? Are you sure you got the score right? In Genesis chapter 15, this is where Paul starts quoting. In verse 4, it says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. And God says, Go outside. This is nighttime. Go outside. And look up. There's no electricity. This is thousands of years ago. Look up and look at all the stars and count them if you can. That's what your offspring are going to be. You're going to have that many kids. Okay? You are going to be the father of a multitude. I'm telling you this. I know it's going to happen. I'm seeing it. He makes that promise to Abraham. And what does Abraham do? In chapter 15, verse 6, it says, Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. And you have to see the parallels here. In both the Galatian church and with Abraham, the word of God comes making a promise. For the Galatian church, it's the promise that I promise that Jesus' death on the cross forgave all of your sins. They didn't see that. It had already happened. But God says, I promise you this is true. Well, to Abraham, he comes, and he actually makes the same promise. Do you see that in verse 8 of our text? The apostle Paul says that God, when he said this promise to Abraham about the, the nations and the whole earth being blessed through Abraham, Paul calls that the gospel that God preached beforehand to Abraham. I think this is the coolest thing. 
And we don't have time to get into this. Like I said, we're going to get into more of this and how this relates you know, to the church and, and to Abraham's offspring. But God preached the same gospel to Abraham before it had happened. Either way, the basis is God who acts and who keeps his promises. So the Galatians heard the word of God, and what did they do? They believed it, and they were justified. The word of God comes to Abraham, and he believes it. And Genesis says, the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. He was made right with God. He was justified. Both cases, the same thing. So you see that Paul is just making the same point both ways. Did did you receive the Spirit by works or by faith? Faith. What about Abraham? Did he receive justification by works? Was he justified by circumcision? This is when these false teachers start thinking about the book of Genesis and they say, oh yeah, he was justified in chapter 15, but he didn't get circumcised until chapter 17. Now I went to seminary, and in seminary they taught me that 17 comes after 15. (laughs) And if you read Genesis, you'll see it's actually 14 years after that Abraham is circumcised. Circumcision couldn't have been farther away from his justification. His justification was just from hearing the promises of God and believing that they were true. And it's the same for us. This is where all all of this is is going. As as Paul says that that gospel that that God preached to Abraham about him having a multitude of nations and the whole, uh, all of the nations of the earth being blessed through Abraham, Paul is saying that's that's Jesus. That's the gospel. And it's true for us. If we have believed, then we're part of that nation of Abraham. That's what he says. Look at in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. You know who the Gentiles are? Us. All of us who, have, uh, who are not ethnically descended from Abraham, who are not Jewish We enter into Abraham's family by faith, which isn't any different than Abraham entered in. It was by faith. So the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. That last part, the man of faith. In Greek, that literally just says the believer. Abraham, the believer. What else could you be known for? She's a woman of faith. He's a man of faith. You're a believer. And it's in believing that all of this is yours. And if you've believed, nothing takes it away. And nothing adds to it. Go back to our basketball game. When it comes to our own salvation, when it comes to our own justification, we're all bench warmers. You get that? God doesn't need you on his team. We're all, you know what? We're worse than bench warmers. We're not even good enough to be on the team. We're sitting in the stands. Actually, we're sitting in the stands and we're cheering for the wrong team. That's how far, we can't be farther away from being deserving of Sharing in this win. Jesus doesn't care. 
He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care where you've come from. He won the game decisively, once and for all. The trophy's his. Nobody's taking it away from him. And he looks at you and he says, you want a piece of this? You want to jump on this bandwagon? Because you can. All you have to do is walk onto the team. And you can share in this victory like it was your own. Even though you didn't do anything, even though it's yours. So if you haven't done that, you can do that right now. You can just believe in Jesus. You don't do anything. You don't do anything before. You don't do anything after. And if you have believed this gospel, just remember when you did. Maybe remember when you got baptized. It's just a reminder that all of your life is in the grave and all of your new life is in Jesus. You win. You've already won. Quit shooting free throws. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for this good news that we can't save ourselves. And that's why you saved us. That's why there's a cross. So that we could be made right with you through your work, not our own. God, thank you for that good news. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that teaches us to call you Abba Father. And I pray that you would stir us by your spirit to believe this truth even more. And to quit trying to earn your love when we, we can't earn any more of it. We have it all. And God, if there's anybody in here that hasn't believed that, and they're trying so hard to please you, God, please let them know how much Christ pleased you and that they can be pleasing in your sight just by believing. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand to respond now, to respond in faith to the amazing grace we've received in Christ. Your grace that leads the sinner home from death to life forever and sings the song of righteousness by blood and not by merit. Your grace that reaches far and wide to every tribe has called my heart to enter in the joy of your salvation by grace I am redeemed by grace I that I cannot explain, not by my earthly wisdom, the prince of life without a stain was
voice rise up. Let praise rise up and overflow. My song resound forever. For grace will see me welcomed home to walk beside my Say amen. Amen. Yes, you can be seated. My name is Ron Giese. I'm the executive pastor here at Desert Springs Church. Baptism is a picture. It's a picture of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's also a picture of a death and a resurrection that we as believers experience. We have died to what the Bible calls the old self. And then we've been raised up in newness of life when we come to believe. Uh, baptism is also a proclamation. These people being baptized today are here to say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, as the old hymn goes. And they've not done this under compulsion. They would say, I joyfully long to follow Jesus all the days of my life and beyond. And then finally, baptism does not save us. These people are here to say, I trust in Christ and in Christ alone. I don't trust in myself. I don't even trust in a combination of Jesus and my own efforts. I am saved on account of Christ and Christ alone. With that said, let me have Nicholas Welsh come up, and his wife Estrella is going to come with him because she will be baptized next. We are baptized in order to belong. I want you to think of those two words that start with B together. We are baptized in order to belong. We are baptized by the church, in the church, for the church. These people are here not just to say, I believe in Jesus. They're here to say, I belong to the body of Christ, the church. And therefore, baptism is a corporate worship experience. It's for all of us. Not just an individual worship experience for those being baptized. To think of Chase's basketball illustration, it's as if in baptism, we put on a spiritual jersey. And we are now part of a team that is all about our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Nicholas Welsh, and since I was a teenager, I had outwardly professed allegiance to Jesus Christ, um, yet I lived a life contrary to this proclamation. I went to church most Sundays, yet I served a different God throughout the week. I was my own God, and fulfilling my own needs 
has always been my concern. Over time, I developed an addiction to painkillers and I spiraled completely out of control, uh, even to the point of almost losing everything I've ever worked for. It was then at my lowest point in life when my reputation was tarnished, my career was ending, my family was hanging on by a thread, and my guilt and shame tormented my every thought. It was then when God extended his hand of mercy to me and revealed to me his precious son. Jesus Christ freed me from the bondage of sin that had once consumed my life, and he took upon himself the unbearable guilt and shame that once enslaved me. He endured the wrath of God in my stead and thus clothed me with his perfect righteousness. My God has granted me repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, and not for anything that I have accomplished, for clearly I was the chiefest of all sinners, but because of the loving mercy and grace of God, my God has given me a new heart that now desires to know him greater and look forward to studying his word here at Desert Springs. Thank you. Nicholas, have you repented of your sins, and do you trust in Christ and in Christ alone for your salvation? Yes, I do. And do you acknowledge that Jesus has purchased you with his blood, that you belong to him, and that you owe him all of your love, your obedience, and your devotion now and forever? Yes. Based on this confession, it's my joy on behalf of this church to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And just before Estrella shares a little bit of um, her story, if, if we have been baptized in order to belong, to go one step back, we have been regenerated to believe. Regenerated means just brought to life spiritually from being dead. And we tend to think that um, we reach some stage of our life where we become smart or humble enough or wise enough to choose Christ. But that's not what the Bible says, that it's up to us, that it centers on us to choose him. Rather, God's Holy Spirit reveals truth to us. And God's Spirit is in charge of that process of salvation from beginning to end, and we can be thankful that salvation is of God and His Spirit and not of us. Good morning, my name is Estrella. God has always been a part of my life growing up and into adulthood. I always knew He existed, but truly understanding who He is did not happen until much later for me. I knew that He died on the cross for our sins. But even knowing that, I never quite understood the magnitude of what he accomplished on the cross. I feared the devil instead of God. Stories about demons and witches were things I feared, yet I never picked up the Bible to understand any of the questions that I had. I understood everything only to a point and only from what people had told me, never wondering where they got their information they were teaching me and never looking into it myself. Going through some of the hardest times that my family has ever gone through, suddenly my absolute desperation for God went into full effect. He gave me a yearning for him and a desire to change the things in my life that were not honoring to him. 
I realized then that all the times I experienced anxiety, worry, and pain, they were just symptoms of my real need, which is fellowship with my creator. I picked up the Bible and God began to soften my heart as I became, began to understand who he is. My God is more amazing than I could ever have imagined. When I understood what Jesus actually endured on the cross, it was the turning point for me. I never knew that Jesus Christ willingly and obediently went to the cross to endure the physical and spiritual torment that only sinners deserve. I never knew that Jesus Christ, sorry, missed me, please. Okay, I never knew that Jesus Christ endured the full wrath of Almighty God in place of women and men who rebelled against him. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. And he did this so that we could be reconciled to God. With this understanding, God has given me a deep reverence for him that will only grow stronger. My life is forever in his hands, and I praise him for saving me. Star, have you repented of your sins, and do you trust in Christ and in Christ alone for your salvation? Yes, I do. Do you acknowledge that Jesus has purchased you with his blood, that you belong to him, and that you owe him all of your love, your obedience, and your devotion now and forever? Yes. Based on this confession, it's my joy on behalf of this church to baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Now let me have Joseph Gallegos to come up. Uh, while he's coming, uh, if we have been regenerated to believe and we've been baptized in order to belong, a pastor friend of mine came up with one-third phrase or line we are sanctified in order to become what does sanctified mean it means being more holy as life goes on as a believer growing spiritually being more christ-like what is it that we become well let me talk about that in just a few minutes um, my name is joseph gallegos i'm a senior in high school uh, i grew up in the church i've been taught about god just like i learned about anything like math and and history and I had that understanding all through elementary school, but I didn't care much. Um, I didn't uh, follow God. I didn't know about him despite learning about him. And that went on until um, like middle school when I had a talk with my sister one day and she kind of explained to me the gospel and um, that me as a sinful human, I'm deserving of hell. And that because I've rebelled against God, uh, that puts me at enmity with him, but it doesn't have to stay that way. And because Jesus saved me, I can have assurance that um, I can be saved from God's wrath. So after that, I called myself a Christian for sure. And uh, I tried to pay attention in church more because I was very scared of hell and I didn't want to be at enmity with God. I listened to my parents when they'd talk about God, 
but even then it was out of fear from God and not really out of love for him. Um, that kind of continued until high school uh, where the youth group here, we did a study through the Gospel of John and the Gospel was so emphasized in that study that I was able to understand that yes, I'm sinful, yes, I'm deserving of hell and, and that's where I should be. But because Jesus died on the cross, I can have full assurance that um, I can be with him forever in eternity in heaven. And uh, I still am very sinful, I still am not perfect, but through every day, through sanctification, I think I'm definitely becoming more of a Christian through God. And Romans 10, nine, it says, uh, it's really encouraging to me. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Joseph, have you repented of your sins, and do you trust in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? Yes, I have. Do you acknowledge that Jesus has purchased you with his blood, that you belong to him, and that you owe him all of your love, your obedience, and your devotion now and forever? I do. Based on this confession, it's my joy to baptize you on behalf of this church in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death. Raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And then let me have Jade Bass come up. Um, and as she's coming up, go back to that phrase of being sanctified in order to become. Some of us become a believer, and it could be that a month later, the Lord takes us home. We die. For others of us, it might be 50, 60, 70 years of growing and being sanctified. But in either case, God sanctifies us. He gets us ready. For what? For eternity in the presence of Jesus and with one another as believers. That is the greatest treasure or delight Christians can or should long for. Hello, uh, my name is Jade Bass. Um, for those of you who do not know me, I have been attending Desert Springs Church for five years now. Um, these five years have been nothing short of a blessing for me. Throughout this period of time, I was strug struggling, living in darkness, and walking the wrong path of addiction. Um, I was searching for happiness and stability in all the wrong places, um, when deep down inside, there was always a feeling of something greater than myself. Through attending Desert Springs Church, I have learned the good news that God the Father sent his only son to earth to be crucified. He was resurrected from the dead so we can have eternal life with him in heaven. Through his crucifixion, all of our sins have been washed away. Uh, through the gospel, I have found my Lord and Savior, the Almighty Father that is perfect in every sense. Although I am not perfect, I can rely on God to guide me by his will and show me how to glorify his Glorify him and praise him in all his glory and bring the good news to others around me. Although the gospel at Desert Springs Church had a lot to do with my salvation, Jordan, my fiance, aided me in the path as well. If it wasn't for him, um, if it wasn't for my fiance, I would have never begun to attend Desert Springs Church in the first place. Jordan believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. He was my rock when I was wandering in sin. He and his family were very influential in leading me back to Jesus Christ. 
Um, my father, being a great example, living by the gospel and God's will, has made a huge impact on my life also. Thanks to these people and the gospel, I have found my way back to the light and eternal life through Jesus Christ. One of the biggest gifts God has given me is freedom from my addiction. Achieving sobriety without God wouldn't have been possible. Today, all my temptation has been removed and the chains of addiction has been dropped. To me, that shows how mighty and powerful God truly is. But now in Christ, Jesus, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Philippians 3.9. Jade, you did great. Thank you for pointing us to Jesus and letting us know that he uses other people to bring us to himself. Oh, you're going to make me emotional. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you the same two questions. Um, have you repented of your sins and do you trust in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? Absolutely, I do. And do you, do you acknowledge that <laughs> Jesus has purchased you with his blood, that you belong to him, and that you owe him all of your love, your obedience and your devotion for now and forever? Absolutely, I do. Based on this confession, it's my joy on behalf of this church to baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Please bow your heads and pray with me. Father, help these who have been baptized know that grace will hold them fast. That their love will sometimes be cold, but Jesus will hold them fast. That these he has saved and baptized are his delight. So help these who have been baptized to walk in the newness of life they already have. Realizing, as we will sing in a minute, that they have been raised with him to endless life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, my heart is full to overflowing. Let us stand now and let it overflow into praise. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast When tempter would prevail He will hold me fast I could never keep my hold Through life's fearful path For my love is often cold He must hold Just in his holy side, 
Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raise with him to endless life. He will hold me fast. Till our babies turn to sign. When he comes As I said, the best way that we guard ourselves against false gospels is by just becoming familiar with the true gospel. And by God's grace, we have heard the true gospel this morning. Amen. We heard it from the Galatians in their own story. We heard it from Abraham in his story. And we heard it from these brothers and sisters, their story. And did you notice what was missing in every one of their testimonies? Anything that they did. It's all of Christ. Singing, our sister, her name's Estrella, means star. She was one of those stars that Abraham couldn't count. We all are, if you would just believe. So again, I ask, if you haven't believed, if you haven't believed in Jesus, all you have to do is is believe it. (laughs) There's nothing more. And even that's a gift of grace. So if you have questions about that, we we don't want you to leave without getting those answered. Maybe I didn't explain it very well. Okay, I want to clarify. So so you can come up front. I'll be up here. We'll have some other pastors up here. We would love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to answer any questions. You can email us if that's easier for you, info at dscabq.com. Let me also say if you're here and you haven't yet followed them in baptism, and obedience to Christ's commands. If, if you've been saved, but you haven't put on the jersey yet, we want to talk to you about that too. We want to, we want to get you baptized so, so you can come talk to us. But if you've believed this true gospel, just keep believing it, and he'll hold you fast. Let me read this prayer for you that the Apostle Paul prays in the book of Ephesians. Just let these words wash over you. This is, this is what God wants for you. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may he give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know with certainty what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards you who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked 
in Christ. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. And feel free to fellowship here in the room. We don't need to clean up afterwards. If you see someone that you don't know, introduce yourself. Say hi to them. But you guys have a blessed Lord's Day. We'll see you next week. Biff.